Stay with Jesus is a series that we are in the book of Hebrews. That's the context. Uh, Jewish believers who put their faith in Jesus Christ enthusiastically following after him. But as they go into that modern world of that day, what they encounter is pressure. Uh, that enthusiasm, those crowds that were flocking to them, uh, uh, well, they, 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 they were still interested, but there was a unique pressure on these new believers, these new Jewish believers in that first century, and, uh, and many of them were considering, some had already had done this, but many were considering taking a step away from Jesus because the cost was, frankly, just too high. We're going to be diving into that series beginning in Hebrews chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 1. Uh, Christmas was just a couple weeks ago and probably may feel like a long time ago because uh, we're in January 2013, but uh, it wasn't that, wasn't that long ago when you were opening presents, kids were opening presents. That was happening in our household. Uh, our granddaughters, uh, Trina's and my granddaughter Finn is uh, two years old and Christmas just was a little bit more real to her this, uh, this year and she enjoyed ripping paper off and a family member uh, bought her this gift, her very first red tricycle. Uh, some of you can remember having your, who, who had a trike when they were growing up? Now, they were a lot of fun. Okay, yeah, a lot of us did. Um, and uh, I don't know if you had the bell. I didn't have the bell. I didn't have the tassels. Uh, and I was pretty happy about that. Uh, but, you know, I, what I loved in my trike is putting my, planting my foot in that, ba- that back platform and just propelling myself uh, down sidewalks. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Finn was, uh, she was, uh, she, yeah, she was somewhat impressed with that gift. But actually, uh, the red trike really hasn't captured her attention. She's fun fallen in love with this. She's fallen in love with the box that it came in. Uh, that's my granddaughter, Finn, and uh, she invites her nana and her papa to come play in her box with her because she's pretty thrilled. She's pretty excited about this box that she got uh, for Christmas. And uh, our hope is that one day she will fall in love with the trike. Um, but the reality is that in the book of Hebrews, the author is writing this book because of the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, recognize that he is the Messiah, he's the gift, that all the law and the prophets had, had spoken about Jesus is the gift. Yet when the pressure was on, when the cost began to become personal, Uh, What they ended up doing, so to speak, was distancing themselves from the gift because that came with some pain. If you remember, as we did an overview last week, that pain was uh, loss of your job, potential loss of your home or property, and certainly, uh, in many cases, uh, being shunned by family. Uh, so there was, there was a, a, a personal price to be paid to be connected with the person of Jesus. And in a way, what, the, what the, those Jewish believers were doing is when they were assessing the costs, some were thinking about distancing themselves from the gift and going back to the trappings, to the wrapping, to the box, so to speak, of Judaism. Uh, that was all, Jesus was wrapped up in all, he was, he, this was all pointing to Christ. And they were stepping away from Jesus. Some had already done it, some were thinking about it. And so the author of Hebrews, an unknown author, writes this, this sermon, really, that's what it is. It's a, it's a 13-chapter sermon uh, to these people, and his primary message is this, stay with Jesus. Stay with Christ. 
And, uh, and, and what we want to do is, is look, look at the book of Hebrews through the lens of those people living in the first century and then travel forward thousands of years to, to 2013 and say, okay, so what does this mean for us here in Salem and Kaiser in the Willamette Valley region in two, January 2013? How, how can we put our roots in Christ and stay with him so that when the pressure's on and when the cost is personal, we don't distance ourselves from the gift? In fact, that's the question that we're tackling today is when the pressure is on, how do we stay with Jesus? There are places in our world where there is a very high cost to be paid to be connected to the person of Jesus Christ. Yet the reality is in your world, in my world here, that the cost is fairly minimal. I mean, you, know, you might be looked down on a little bit. You might lose some respect or be ridiculed. Uh, and there is a cost. There is a pressure to that. Um, but the reality is, is that whether it's a high cost or a low cost, what we need to understand is how do we, when the pressure is on, how do we stay with Jesus? And that is right where the author is going to go in Hebrews chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, open to Hebrews 1. Uh, I want to begin in verse 1. And rather than read the whole chapter, what I want to do uh, this morning is I want to work our way through the chapter. We'll take it section by section. And, um, and what's going to happen, that, that question, how, when the pressure's on, how do I stay with Jesus, we're going to, at the end of this, we're going to go back and answer that question, but what we're going to do is, is try and make sense of the text, and frankly, it's, it's a difficult text to understand. There's a lot being said there, but I, I, I want to help us understand what's being said so that you can make sense of the application when we get there. So uh, I'm going to just be beginning reading in verse 1 and follow along, if you would, and I'll make some comments as we work our way through this text. Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Just stop right there. That's how God delivered his messages, through the prophets. They were the messengers. He was the one uh, initiating the message. Now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus Christ took on flesh and became the message. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Very rich statements. In fact, seven specific statements about the person Jesus Christ. Let me just backtrack here because what's happening here is the author is exalting Jesus Christ, holding up Christ very, very high, and wants us to know these things. Statement number one, in the middle of verse two, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. It's all, it all belongs to Jesus. Through Jesus, the Son, he created the universe. Jesus is creator. He's creator. Statement three, the Son radiates God's own glory. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. Statement four, he expresses the very character of God. Again, you want to know what God thinks about something or how God feels about something? Just look at Jesus. Statement uh, number five, he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. In Christ, he holds all things together. Statement six, when he cleansed us from our sins, Jesus purified us of our sins, our guilt and our shame. That's number six. Number seven is, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Seven very rich statements about the person Jesus Christ. 
And when Jesus sits in that place of honor, he does not sit as a passive ruler. He sits now as one who's overseeing his inheritance and is one day going to stand up and return and come and make every wrong right. Verse 4 The writer of Hebrews says, this shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names, which may make us go, what? How'd we get there? Why why the need to to say Jesus is greater than the angels? Remember, if if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast, but this writer is writing to a Jewish audience And what he's going to do is going to make his case that Jesus is greater than every heavy hitter of Judaism. So he's going to pull out all the big names, everything that a Jew would value and esteem, and he's going to begin with the prophets. We did that in in verse 1. And then he's going to get to the angels. And he gets to the angels and says, Jesus is greater than the angels because the Jews thought very differently than you and I do about angels. You see, for some of us in the room, we think of an angel, we think of pudgy little fairy-like creatures who float around with bows and arrows and harps and halos and help people fall in love and sort of just, uh, you know, take, just, uh, they're just cute. We, we see classic art and we, uh, we think Valentine's Day. We think uh, angels. Uh, some of you were, were hooked and in the 90s and early 2000s, you would not miss an episode of Touched by an Angel. Uh, these sort of drop-in therapist angels who offer innocuous advice uh, trying to earn their wings in heaven uh, by doing good deeds on earth. Or maybe you watch It's a Wonderful Life during Christmas and you've come to the conclusion that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Like angels are these creatures trying to prove themselves to God. Some of you in the room have these precious moment figurines that have these teardrop eyes. You've got them in a very safe place because you believe someday they'll be worth thousands. Uh, we, we have figurines, shows, art that, that picture angels as these cute little fairy-like beings that kind of buzz around. Some even say a lost loved one, they're, they're an angel and they're just watching over me wherever I go, which is kind of creepy, but that's, that's sort of an idea that some people have as well. Well, this is a completely different idea of what an angel is found in the scriptures and also found in the mind of a Jew living in the first century. Angels are powerful, glorious beings. If you've read much of the Bible, and if you've read one of those sections of the Bible where someone encounters an angel, it's a stop you in your tracks moment. You, you probably wouldn't say this in church, but it's a wet your pants moment. Let me just put it that way. Because you read stories, and people fall down as if they're dead. Or they fall down, and they attempt to worship the angel, and the angel will always say, get up, don't worship me, I'm created. They know who they are, and they are glorious. They will cause you to just stop dead in your tracks, to be paralyzed, even with fear, because it's just how beautiful and how glorious they are. Listen to Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, just one description of an angel that John wrote as he wrote the book of Revelation. He says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. It's quite a description of an angel. Doesn't sound like a pudgy little fairy-like thing going around helping people fall in love. 
terrifying. And then you look at stories like in Matthew chapter 28, uh, the resurrection of Christ. You, you've got these Roman guards protecting the tomb because the Pharisees, you know, they've heard the rumors that Jesus is gonna rise from the dead, so they wanna make sure the disciples don't go and steal the body, so send your strongest, most muscular Roman guards to guard the tomb. So Pilate issues the guards to go, and they, they're out there, and two angels show up, and the scriptures tell us that their appearance was like lightning and their robes were, were just beautifully white. Those muscular, trained, special forces, Roman guards of the day are paralyzed in fear. And we know the stone is rolled away and Jesus walks out of the tomb. These are Glorious, powerful beings. Daniel, he's in the lion's den. You have ferocious lions who, uh, who, are, who are, are kept in a pit for, for execution purposes. Daniel's put into the lion's den, and it says an angel shuts the mouth of a lion. That's power. Or you've got Peter in prison, and he's, he's chained. The doors are locked. He's got guards around him. He's behind several locked doors, and in the middle of the night, an angel comes through. Doors open, chains fall off, and Peter's a free man. Well, that's power. See, see, the Jew, the Jewish believer, would have held in high regard angels. And these powerful, glorious, these, these, these glorious uh, ministering spirits, their primary job, as you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we'll work our way to that verse. It says, angels are only servants. Well, here's how they serve. They are spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Angels, their assignment is us. They're, these glorious, powerful angels, their assignment is to serve us as the Father bids them to serve. And we get hints of that. Psalm 91 says, He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now Paul writes in the New Testament that, that we'll be involved in the, in the judging of angels. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 10, Jesus is talking about, hey, let the little ones come to me, and you better watch out for those little ones. Matthew 18 says, beware that you don't look down on any one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Meaning, these little ones... They have angels assigned to them. They're at the throne of the Father just waiting for the word to be spoken to go and minister, to go and care, to go and protect, to go and serve. These glorious, powerful spirit beings that we call angels, these were angels that were held in high regard by the Jews, Jewish believers back in that first century. And another unique characteristic of that high regard for angels is connected to this Jewish tradition that the angels were responsible for the law being, being given to Moses. You, you get a hint of that in Hebrews chapter two, verse two. We'll get to that next week. Hebrews chapter two, verse two says, for the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished that the Jewish mind believed that the angels were involved in that, that law being given to Moses. And because they valued the law, they held in high regard angels. And what, what, what the argument the writer of Hebrews is gonna make is that, look, if you stopped dead in your tracks when an angel showed up and he gave you a message and you received that message as binding and you know it needed to be done, 
They're the messenger. Why would you take a step away from the one who is the message? Are you tracking with me? The angels, the prophets, they were just messengers. God spoke, the angel, the prophet delivered the message. Now, now God has sent his son. He is the message. The word became flesh. Now he has come. Why would you not think that his message is not binding? Why would you distance yourself from him? Stay with Jesus. That's why the author in Hebrews is making this huge case and saying Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, as, as, we, as we continue on in Hebrews chapter one, you're gonna need to stick with me because what he's gonna do is gonna say that the name that God gave Jesus is greater than the names of the angels. Name had a lot to do with character, and so he's gonna make this point. He's gonna give us three names of Christ and make his point of why Jesus is greater than the angels. Stick with me here because this is some heady stuff and I want to explain it to you so you have a grasp of what's happening in Hebrews chapter 1. And as we get into it, we're going to run smack dab into two colossal mysteries of our faith. The mystery of the incarnation and the mystery of the Trinity. And I think most of us in this room, we, we, uh, we like mysteries to be solved. Uh, we, we, we like solutions to these mysteries. And, but when it comes to God, uh, one of my own personal conclusions is there's much I can learn about God that's very, very clear. But there are some things about God that are frankly too mysterious. I can't get my head wrapped around it. When I try and do it, you know, fuses blow in my head uh, because it's just too mysterious. And that is a good thing. I find rest and peace in that. Because if, if God can be sort of figured out, um, that, I, th I think that would be a bit discouraging. God is mysterious. We know much about God, but there's many things that we don't know. We see through a glass darkly. So we're gonna run into those two mysteries. And so here, here's this, who is Jesus? Uh, let's pick it up in verse five. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son, today I become your father. I've circled the word son in my Bible because that's the very first name of Jesus. He is the son. Psalm two, uh, that, that passage there is a reference to Psalm two. You are my son, today I become your father. That gives us a, an, a dimension. We're gonna get some dimensions to what a son is. Psalm two is, is further explained in Acts chapter 13, so this is defined for us of what it means. God has now fulfilled it for us by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son, today I become your father. This passage is referring to the resurrection and connecting this Psalm 2 passage to that resurrection. So he is the son, and more particularly, one of the added dimensions is, is he is the son of the resurrection. He has conquered death, he has conquered the grave, he is the son of the resurrection. I, I grew up in, in Hong Kong, my parents were missionaries, and I grew up in the 60s and 70s uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, my parents, like many missionaries, when they first go to a new field, um, they have to put all kinds of hours into learning language. My parents, uh, some, some missionaries spend anywhere, anywhere between four and six years in language study. And so my parents are in Hong Kong, and they're having to learn Chinese, a dialect of Chinese. And so their kids have to be cared for, and so the, the mission at that point in time provided funds uh, for an, an ama to be hired. An ama was a Chinese word that meant servant. We had a servant that, that took care of us, which I'm sure was not an easy job. Uh, her, her name, her name was Gum Jun. Gum Jun was part of the family. 
She was, we grew up with her. She clothed us. She fed us. She walked us to kindergarten. She kept an eye on us. You know, she disciplined us. She did it all. She was, she, she had her eye on us. But, but in regards to my parents, she was, yes, she was part of the family, but she was a servant. My parents, we have two boys and a, and a daughter. There was two sons and a daughter. And they had much higher status in the family than Gumjun did. We love Gumjun, but she was a servant. As the writer of Hebrews is making this point that the first name of Jesus is the son, the point he's making is that he has status in the household. He is the son. Angels are servants. They, their job is to serve, to minister, to care. They don't have the same status as Jesus. So as he's making this argument and saying Jesus is greater than the angels, his primary argument begins with, well, he's the son. He's the head of the household. We'll get into Hebrews chapter two and we'll talk, he'll say that he, he calls him the oldest brother. Because we're now part of that household. We have status with God. Angels, they're gum John. They're servants. And he is the son. He's the son of the resurrection, as is alluded to in, in Psalm 2. And then it continues. It says, God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. This is a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, which is the, the, the passage where David is given the promise. This is the Davidic covenant. David, you're going to have an heir that's going to sit on this throne forever. He's the promised Messiah. So he's the son, he's the son of the resurrection, he's the son of the Davidic covenant, he's the one we've been waiting for. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, now we're talking Christmas, when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. He's the son, he's the son of the resurrection, he's the son of the Davidic covenant, and now he's the son of the incarnation. He is God who took on flesh. And the reason that the author is, is making all these points is because he's conquered the grave. He's the one that was promised. He is God who took on flesh. Now stay with him. And that's the first name that we get for Jesus. First great name. Now, comparing to the angels in, in verse six, halfway through verse six, uh, it's, I'm sorry, verse seven, it says, regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds. His servants, like flames of fire, they, they, they do God's bidding. They obey. But to the son, and now we're going to get to the second name, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. I've circled the word, O God. That's the second name. Now, now we're going to run into the Trinity here. Your throne, O God, endures forever. Your rule, you rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He is the son, he is God, and he rules with a scepter of justice. A scepter would have been a picture of character. And his character is, is that he loves justice and he hates what is evil. He loves justice, he hates what's evil, he's anointed with joy. Jesus is the most joyful person you will ever meet. I don't know what your picture of God is, but Jesus has been anointed with joy. He is joyful. He smiles. He's happy. Now, some of us have a picture in our head of a, of a God who frowns, of a God who's disappointed. You're a son or a daughter. 
You belong to him. And he turns our, our ashes into beauty. He turns our mourning into gladness. He pours out that same oil and gives us his joy. He is God. And we see that in the Trinity. Then we get to, uh, to the next verse. Uh, we get in verse 10. It says, he's not only the Son, he's not only God, he also says to the Son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. Lord is uh, the word you use for Jehovah. This would have sounded heretical to the Jew. You're, in the beginning, Jehovah, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. It's a contrast between a God, uh, Jehovah, who remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, and a contrast to creation that wears out and will one day be folded up and be made new again. And God never said to any one of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And that is a reference to a conquering king who conquers a foe, and that conquered foe in the ancient world would literally be brought before the king. He would have to lay down. The king would take his foot and put it on the foe's neck. A picture of, I'm greater than you. You're, you're having to submit to me. He is the son the son of the resurrection. He is the son of the Davidic covenant. He is the son of the incarnation. He is God. He is Lord. Now that's what the text is saying. But let's get back to the question that we started with. Let's travel a bit from 100 AD or so, or probably more accurate, 60 AD, and let's come forward to January 2013. Steve, that's awesome. He's son, he's God, he's Lord, but... <laughs> What's this mean? So what? Well, when the pressure's on, when there's a price to be paid to being associated with Jesus, how do we stay with him? How do we avoid distancing ourselves from the gift? Remember, he's the present. How do we keep ourselves from, from stepping away from Jesus and potentially playing with the wrapping and enjoying a box when he's the gift. I mean, the law of the prophets, Jesus was wrapped up in all of that, and it all pointed towards him. How do we avoid making that same mistake here in Salem-Kaiser, January 2013? Let me try and answer that question. Some of you may remember the story of the Columbine shootings, the school shooting, which unfortunately that whole tragedy just gets repeated far too often. At Columbine shootings, there's the story of this young woman who was hiding out in a classroom as a shooter was making his way through the school and found this young woman hiding and uh, points his gun at her and asks her a question. And the question is this, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Now, I don't know what was going through that young woman's mind when that gun was pointed at her. Certainly, fear Perhaps the assumption that if she would say, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus, her life would be spared. But she didn't go there. She said, yes, I am a follower of Christ, and a trigger was pulled and a life was ended. In that moment, the pressure was on, and she stayed with Jesus. 
Now, that's a moment that, you know, none of us will, I hope none of us will ever experience. It's a pretty dramatic moment when a gun is pointed at you and someone asks you, do you believe in Jesus? As if you say, yes, I'm pulling the trigger. But the reality is, is that every day, every week, you and I experience pressure, those moments where we make little or big decisions to either stay with Jesus, stay with the gift, or take a step away because there's a price to be paid, however large or small it might be. Years ago, when I was working for Lur Jensen, it was a fishing tackle company uh, in Hood River, Oregon. Uh, I, I, was, I worked there for about seven years. I was in charge of uh, VP of Operations Manufacturing, and, um, and I was walking the manufacturing floor, and one of our department heads called me over. His name is Ramon. He called me over, kind of pulled me into a side hallway, um, and he had a magazine rolled up in his back pocket. He pulled it out, and he unrolled the magazine, and I could see right away by the cover of the magazine that it was a Playboy. And he says to me, he asks me the question, Steve, you're not one of those Bible thumpers, are you? And, and in, you know, frame of seconds, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little pressure. I'm not gonna die. But, I'm feeling the pressure of if I say yes, I'm a Bible thumper. And by the way, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if I like that label. But if I say yes, you know, the word will get out and people will talk about me and I'm one of those guys, those religious nuts who, you know, is a follower of Jesus and all the stuff that, you know, you think about. If I say no, um, then I don't have to worry about all that. And this is just going through your head. You, you, you go through this all the time in one way or another. It may not be a scenario just like this, but you go through this all the time. And I'm sitting there, and seconds are going by, and Ramon's asked me the question, Steve, you're not one of those Bible thumpers, are you? I mean, you know, one of those guys, those nuts, those crazy guys. And I looked at Ramon, and I said, you know, Ramon, I am a Bible thumper. And his face went white. Um, I was his boss. Um... <laughs> And he rolled up the magazine, stuck in his back pocket, and jetted out the hallway. And I stood there and I thought, well, word's out, I'm a Bible thumper. <laughs> but it's just one of those small moments that you and I face all the time where we're either going to treasure the gift or we're just going to take a step back. It may not feel like a big step. Just a little, I mean, I'm just, I'm just avoiding a little pain here because the pressure's on. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not perfect in every situation when the pressure's on. Please don't, please don't paint that picture of me. But I do want to be someone who in the little decisions or the big ones choose the gift and stay with Jesus. How's that happen? Well, I believe that happens. Just by looking at the, the beginning argument here in Hebrews chapter one, it simply begins by having a very high, exalted view of the person of Jesus Christ. 
He is high, he is lifted up, he sustains all things by his word, he created the world, he sits at the right hand of the Father, he is the matchless son, he is God, he is Lord. And by the way, because he is son, the angels worship him. Because he is God, the angels do his bidding, they obey him. Because he is Lord, they serve him. And practically speaking, of holding Jesus up high, practically what that looks like is just following the examples of the angels. Because he is son, we worship him. We attach worth to him, and so we, we focus on him, we lift him high, we adore him. We follow the example of the angels. Because he is son, we worship him. Because he is God, we obey him. We match his character, the one who holds the scepter, who loves justice and hates evil. And so we too hate evil and choose what is justice and we love mercy. And because he is Lord, we serve him, we wait at his feet. And when he gives us an assignment, our first and quick response is, yes, Lord. We worship We obey, we serve, that's what the angels do. We lift him high, and practically speaking, that's how we do it. That's why we give ourselves, that's why we talk so much about the importance of worship. It's about exalting Christ. Obedience is also worship. But it's, 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 it's understanding that we want to be, we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And because he is Lord, because he is Jehovah, we want to be a people who say, yes, Lord, whether it's a big assignment or a small one. And practically, that helps us when the pressure is on, when the gift is before us, and the pressure is on, and the cost is high, and we may be tempted to go back and, well, let's just sort of play with the wrapping and play with the box, and, you know, there's less trouble here. Things were okay here. We were tempted to take those steps back, but to stay with Jesus, it begins with holding Jesus in high regard. He is our treasure. He is the Son. He is God. He is Lord. And that's the beginning place of staying with Jesus.